In a video shared many times on social media, an Iranian woman climbs on top of a car in the conservative city of Mashhad. She takes off her headscarf and starts chanting death to the dictator. Young protesters nearby join in before the crowd builds a fire and women start burning their headscarves and slicing their hair off. A direct challenge to the powerful religious authorities that run Iran would usually be unthinkable. But in September 2022, protests erupted across the country, sweeping through hundreds of cities and towns. This is Beyond the Headlines, I'm Mina Al-Durubi. And this week, we're looking at how the death of a young Kurdish-Iranian woman from Iran's north became the rallying cry for years of frustration and anger at the country's leaders. Before we start, if you want to get every episode of Beyond the Headlines as soon as it comes out, all you need to do is hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. It's not the first time Iran has been rocked by huge civil unrest, but this time it's different. Rather than being about the dire economic situation, these protests are over an issue that cuts to the heart of Iran's cleric-led state, the compulsory veil. They were initially a response to the death of Miss Amini, uh, a young girl who died after being in custody of the morality police in Iran. It would appear very much so that she died as a result of um, beatings by the morality police. But of course, the Iranian government is denying that. As a result, many Iranian women poured out onto the streets uh, in solidarity with uh, Miss Amini, but also um, in order to really just highlight several grievances that they have. It was sparked by the wearing of the uh, the hijab, the Iranian headscarf, but it is absolutely not limited to, to that. Their asks are not limited to that. It goes really way beyond that now. And grievances uh, have expanded to just general well-being, economic issues, um, their freedoms, their ability to dress the way they want, the ability to think the way they want, and really just a wide, wide range of problems with the Iranian government. That was Dina Esfandari. She's an Iranian senior advisor for the Middle East and North Africa program at the International Crisis Group. 22-year-old Mahsa Amini died while visiting Tehran on September 13th for wearing her headscarf too loosely. Many Iranians said enough. Those close to her family say Mahsa Amini was shy and reserved, stared clear of politics and never challenged the country's clerical rulers or its strict dress code. But on September 13th, she would pay a heavy price for not paying attention to every detail of her clothing as she and her family visited her uncle in Tehran. Shortly after stepping off the train from their hometown in the northwestern Kurdish city of Sakaz, she was stopped by the morality police. In Iran, there are strict rules about how women must be dressed and how the hijab must be worn. Dina explains more about the controversial dress code. Iranian women must cover their hair and must be dressed modestly at all times. This was not always the case uh, prior to the Islamic Revolution in 1979. Iranian women were more or less free to wear what they wanted. After the revolution, however, these rules uh, came into place and not everybody was okay with it. Uh, Iran has always been uh, quite a diverse society. You have those that practice Islam and their women, of course, do cover themselves. And then you have 
those who are a little bit less religious, let's put it that way, uh, and do not want to, to, to cover their hair or wear the hijab. And so it's always been a controversial matter. Sanam Vakil, who comes from an Iranian background, is the deputy head of the Middle East and North Africa program at Chatham House in London. She talks about the choices women have taken around the hijab. I think that women today in Iran are advocating for choice. Uh, there are plenty of conservative religious women in the country who wear very traditional hijab, uh, but they too uh, are aware that the forced imposition of the veil uh, detracts from its meaning. Um, and so uh, this is about choice and this is about social control over women. Whilst being arrested, Mahsa Amini and her brother begged for mercy, saying they were not familiar with the rules in Tehran. She was begging her brother not to let them take her. But she was loaded onto a van by the mixed team of male and female officers and taken to a morality police detention centre. For the past decade, a symbol of the Islamic Republic's crackdown on women has been the morality police. So who are they? The morality police were initially set up, I believe, under President Ahmadinejad, and although they were called something else at the time, and they're tasked with monitoring the dress code of uh, women and ensuring that the that women's outfits, as it were, and the way that they present themselves matches the rule about them having to cover themselves and dress modestly. They have been around since, as I mentioned, since Ahmadinejad, but under President Raisi, I mean, their their presence has expanded, uh, they've been more visible, uh, and um, they have become, I guess you could say, more aggressive in their, in their methods and in bringing in um, Iranian women or in chastising Iranian women. Obviously, they pose a real problem to uh, to daily life for women in Iran. You have had many instances of Iranian women being brought in because they had makeup on or because their hijabs were too far back or like the morality police felt they weren't dressed modestly enough. And so this is part of what um, uh, people are protesting at the moment. Mahsa Amini's brother waited outside, unaware that the two hours after she arrived at the center, an ambulance had taken her to the Kasra hospital. Her family eventually found her there, in a coma. Doctors kept the family in the dark, bearing access to her CT scan. Two days later, she was dead. Authorities insist that officers didn't beat Mahsa, but women arrested at the same time recount seeing them pull Massa in the police van as she begged to be let go. In the coroner's office, her body was covered in such a way that her father could not see anything except a small part of her leg that was bruised, sources close to the family have said. Police say they can't release the footage from inside the van as the cameras weren't working. Many simply don't believe the footage released by authorities show Massa suddenly collapsing at the police station. Mahsa's family were in shock. Her mother insisted that Mahsa's hijab was proper. During the funeral, she was repeatedly saying, Why, why? My daughter had a proper hijab and her coat was long and black, but I don't know why she was arrested. The unrest has reached Iran's provinces and brought students, middle-class professionals, and working-class men and women into the streets. Which begs the question, has the issue just been the hijab or is it more deep-rooted than that? I think the, the wearing of the hijab was the, was the spark 
Uh, and it was um, it was an easy spark because, of course, it's a it's a grievance that has been around for a long time, and of course, the death of Miss Amini. I mean, it was Miss Amini was taken in because she was judged to be not dressed appropriately and not wearing the hijab appropriately, and so it was natural that that would be the thing that would spark the protests. But but the grievances are are much deeper than just that. Um, women's rights is one of them, of course, but also their general well being is another. Um, Iran has been suffering uh, economic troubles for many many years now, and uh, part of that has been due to the international sanctions on it, which have made it very difficult for Iran to trade internationally, to get some of the goods it needs, but also to get some of the medicines it needs. I think people are getting increasingly disillusioned. They're losing all hope and and they don't really see a way out. And that helps to explain how wide ranging and how widespread these protests are. On September 16th, authorities cut mobile internet and block access to social media where hundreds of videos were circulating of crowds cheering as women cut their hair, burned their hijabs and chanted against the government. Security forces vowed to use all their might to put down the demonstrations. They used tear gas and fired warning shots to disperse crowds and arrested thousands of protesters. Generally, the Islamic Republic tends to clamp down pretty hard uh, and pretty fast. So uh, the clamping down will range from security forces pouring out into the streets uh, and preventing people from uh, from congregating and demonstrating. Uh, they'll often be hand in hand with government officials making statements to the effect that the protests are being spurred by foreign powers in Iran and really discrediting the protesters. And on top of that, they're often accompanied by Internet shutdowns, which is something that we're seeing in a pretty widespread capacity right now. Dozens of Iranian celebrities, soccer players and artists inside and outside the country have backed the demonstrations. Iran's hardline judiciary said it will press charges against them, according to state media. World leaders and rights groups and the UN have called on the government to carry out a transparent and independent inquiry into Massa's death and urge restraint in dealing with demonstrations. Sanam explains the region's perspective on the protests and how the Iranian government has handled it. If you look around the region, I think that people are watching these protests with a a mix of caution and and a mix of awe. There is no love for the Islamic Republic in the Middle East. And at the same time, I think um, the region is quite careful in how it uh, manages social issues. And I'm just being quite broad. Obviously, every country has its own cultural and political dynamics. But this is sort of a cleavage in the region where, of course, uh, most regional states would like to see the Islamic Republic weakened because of its regional activities and its malign regional influence. But at the same time, weakening an authoritarian system could, of course, have influence in other authoritarian systems in the Middle East. And that in itself is uh, a challenge for states to manage the message and manage how the news is being received. There were solidarity protests across the US, Europe and in parts of the Middle East, and many held up pictures of Massa. On September 26, Iran's Revolutionary Guards fired drones and missiles at Kurdish opposition groups in northern Iraq and accused them of fermenting unrest. But the protests still grew. Which raises the question, is burning of the hijab an anti-Islam or anti-government move? 
Well, I can't speak for 82 million people or any of the protesters, but I would say in general, it's an anti-Islamic Republic move. I think many people protesting are very angry and frustrated over the lack of social freedom, the political repression, the limited economic opportunities that exist in Iran. But of course, there are women who are also protesting against the presence, the forced uh, sort of political presence of Islam in their lives. Late on September 28th, President Ibrahim Raisi addressed the nation to call for calm. He described Mahsa's death as a tragedy, but said that chaos was not acceptable. One thing that perhaps is underreported is that protests are uh, really a part of daily life in the Islamic Republic, and they have been for a long, long time now. At times, they become national protests and they become much uh, wider and larger and uh, garner a lot more international attention. Over the past 20 years, we have seen some very sizable and very um, politically powerful protests. In 1999, there were student protests. In 2009, after the election, there were political protests. And over the past few years, we've also seen very large economic protests. And just this year, we've seen environmental protests by farmers about water issues. We've seen teacher protests over pay increases. We so. All in all, there is a history and tradition, and of course, women can participate in protests. Coming from an Iranian background, both Dina and Sanam feel passionately about what the protests are trying to achieve. They both understand the anger that many Iranians are feeling and feel the country is in need of change. As an Iranian, it's very difficult to respond in any other way but to feel Uh, profoundly affected, um, to feel helpless outside of the country. I'm in touch with, you know, friends, family members, people back in Iran, and it's heartbreaking. You want to be able to help out, you want to be able to do something, but other than sharing the videos internationally uh, in order to ensure that, that, that people outside of Iran remain engaged and informed about what's happening inside Iran, there's very little that we can do. And, and that's that's difficult as an Iranian, really. Um, like I said, you can't help but feel uh, profoundly affected. Um, it's a it's a very emotional affair for all Iranians, of course. Um, for everybody watching, uh, it's it's just yeah, it's difficult. But it's of course nowhere near as difficult as what everything is going through inside the country. It's just hard to feel a bit helpless. I am proud. I'm in awe of the women who are going out into the streets and. Uh, fighting for their rights. I think that um, it's been long overdue and I applaud their bravery and I understand how angry and frustrated um, they must be feeling. And I also applaud, um, it's not just women on the streets, there are also men, uh, men who are alongside them and men who have a very broad base of grievances as well. And I applaud them because it's hard to do what they're doing. And it's hard to stand up and fight back in an authoritarian system that is coercive um, and repressive. I would like to see the legal structures that have been put in place to prevent women from having equal rights removed. And I would like to see the patriarchal control over women stopped 
And of course, through that process, allow women to have choice in how they dress. And that actually also goes to men. Um, you know, there are also modesty laws with regards to men. So allowing people to have social freedom and control over their social lives, I think, would be a breath of fresh air and long overdue. But of course, you know, we can keep going and um, and hope for the imposition of rule of law, political accountability, more transparency, greater press freedom. You know, the list is very long uh, in my wish list for Iran. Thanks this week to Dina and Sanam for their contribution. We were produced by Tom Smith, Arthur Edison, and James Haynes Young. I'm Mina El Jarubi, and thanks for listening to Beyond the Headlines. For all the latest episodes, just hit subscribe in your podcasting app. And if you can leave us a review while you're there, it would make all the difference. <laughs>